the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Difference Makers. Welcome. My name is Mike Lee, Director of Local Ministries for True Talking 193.9 KPDQ, AM 860 The Answer, KPAM, La Patrona 1640, 93.1 El Rey, and 104.1 The Fish. And I'd love to talk with you about getting more people back to your church, sharing about your ministry through our free online church directory and our church service live stream directory, expanding your ministry or business beyond your walls, becoming known as an authority in your field, and getting heard of on the radio, building awareness of your company or outreach by hosting our events at your location at no risk to you, marketing your message or brand directly to your target audience through the powerful online tools of Salem Surround, and most importantly, if your ministry leader or pastor could use a phone call, a word of encouragement, a cup of coffee, or a connection to others, please email me at mikelee at kpdq.com. That's M-I-K-E-L-E-E at K-P-D-Q dot com. Very special privilege I have to have a friend in the studio. I haven't known him very long, but he is a chaplain for four baseball teams, and his name is George Escalante. So welcome, George. How are you today, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I am humbled uh, and honored to be here. Uh, thank you for having me, and um, looking forward to see what the Lord has in store for us today. Very much looking forward to that myself, my friend. So could you tell us about baseball chaplaincy, what teams you are currently serving, and how you got into that in the first place? Well, right now I'm the lead chaplain for the Mavericks Independent League. Um, The Mavericks Independent League came to be about, I know that the Salem-Kaiser Volcanoes um, were with the San Francisco Giants. It was a farm team for the San Francisco Giants. And two years ago, the San Francisco Giants made a decision, or Major League Baseball made a decision to let some of the teams go, uh, especially at the uh, uh, single-A short-season teams. Um, including those teams was the Tri-City Dust Devils, uh, and the Volcanoes unfortunately didn't make the cut. And the owners of the team, uh, Jerry and Lisa Walker, decided to do independently with four teams, so independent league, where are these four teams located? They are located in Salem-Kaiser. Um, they have uh, different uh, names for the teams. Um, you have the Portland Mavericks. You have um, the Salem-Kaiser Volcanoes. You have the Salem Centers. And you have the Salem Campesinos. And they all play all their games there at the um, Volcano Stadium. In right Kaiser. off of I-5 in Kaiser. Yep. Okay. So – Educate me here, George. Would they ever cross paths with teams or players locally? Like, I know there's one down in Eugene. I know we have the Hillsborough Hops. And was it the Portland Pickles? Yeah, Portland uh, Pickles, I was going to say. But yeah, Portland Pickles, right? And then they have the Eugene Emeralds also. They're still in a single-A uh, team for Major League Baseball. Where do most of these players from the independent league 
come from, George? They come from all over the place. Uh, this past season, I had guys that, uh, a lot of guys that came from California, um, several came from Louisiana, a couple of them New York. We had several that had come from the Dominican Republic, and you have one that was uh, from Puerto Rico, Mexico, the international players. Well, that's wild. So are there any hometown heroes, maybe someone who was big in the Pacific Northwest that people get behind and root for? Oh, there's several of them. Um, one name that comes to my mind right now that is a very good pitcher is uh, A.J. Burke. He's a Salem police officer, and he was on the centers. He pitched, and he was one of their good starters. I really enjoy watching him play. And there's other names that uh, E.J. Efferson and several other names that are local names that play like for University of Oregon or University of Washington. And they're just trying to keep their dreams alive. So, um, yeah, we get to hang out with them and stuff. So. Now, I don't know what the exact statistics are, George, but I have heard that a very small fraction of those who play, say, high school level sports will ever make it to the college level. So how few college baseball players will actually even get a shot at, say, the minor leagues, much less a pro team? Very few? Yeah, it's a very, very small percentage. I, I was an athletic director before I became, um, um, you know, I work in corrections right now. That's my full-time job. But before I I came from California to Oregon, I was an athletic director. And the percentage, I think it's point zero zero one point zero zero two of high school athletes making to being able to play at a professional level. So. So what was your previous job doing specifically? I was an athletic administrator uh, for a junior high and high school in Southern California. So what brought you from Southern California to the Pacific Northwest where you are serving as a baseball chaplain, George? Um, well, um, when uh, I went through college to get my bachelor's degree, it was on social and criminal justice. I wanted to be an officer, a peace officer. At that time where I graduated college – in California, they were laying off peace officers, so it was very difficult to get a job. So one of my mentors, that star, came to me and says, hey, I need an athletic director. This time I was coaching uh, uh, the varsity football team offensive line, and I'm like, no, I don't do no administrating or I don't know what that means. And, you know, then I prayed about it, and a couple of days later, I felt the Lord saying, you need to talk to Des. And I'm like, no, I don't. You need to talk to Des. <laughs> So, <laughs> so wait, here you are, this football coach who had aspirations of doing something alongside law enforcement, and they ask you to be the athletic director and do administrative work that you were totally foreign to. Is that it? Yes. And uh, at that time, I prayed about it, and then I felt the Lord saying, you need to go talk to Des, you need to go back to him, talk to him. So I talked to him and he says, hey, this is what I can do, and I'm like, uh, I don't think that's going to work. And I'm like, so then he shared his story of how he had left his um, well-paying job to go into full-time ministry and become a pastor. And I left that room crying and saying, oh, man, I am so weak. And I'm like, I'm not worthy of this, you know. <laughs> and because it would ha it cut my pay, but, you know, it was an opportunity to for me to trust the Lord and stuff and you know, Laura has always been faithful with my wife and I and our kids and has always provided for our needs. And I uh, came back to him a couple hours later, says, okay, I'll take the job. <laughs> <laughs> I 
you know, it was awesome. It was so humbling that the Lord had chosen me to do that. And I was so blessed. I did it for five years and um, was able to raise up young athletes to be productive citizens in our community and stuff. So. Oh, that's wonderful. We're speaking with baseball chaplain George Escalante. And George, I love your humility and obedience to take a step outside of your comfort zone. So I want to ask you specifically, when you mentioned you sought the Lord and you prayed about this opportunity that you really didn't feel qualified for, that just came out of the blue, that God made it clear that you should take it anyway. So I'm reminded that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this isn't simply uh, a legendary rock star of the Bible story where God used a poor speaker and made him a leader. Okay, this is now, this is today, this is the modern world. So, A, how did you ask God for direction on this? And B, how did you discern that he was calling you to go for this job? Well, I, um, uh, I've spent several, um, after leaving that, that, that meeting with this, I, I went to my car and I was crying and, and I was, um, asking the Lord, okay, do you really want me to do this? Because I don't know how it's going to work. The numbers don't make sense to me. And at that time, I felt the Lord saying, you need to go back to to to, to death and you need to trust in me. And I just felt a peace and a comfort come over me. And and at that point, I, I said, oh, no, what is my wife going to think about this? Oh, what am I doing? But I decided to trust him and went and talked to Des, and uh, his response was, I was just praying for you. <laughs> and uh, But it was a sense of peace that came over me saying, it's going to be okay. Uh, this is going to be something new. And you know the saying that the Lord um, you, you know, doesn't call the qualified. He just calls the ones that make themselves available. And it was so humbling, and it was a learning experience for me, and it was a step of faith. But I decided to listen to to the Lord prompting me to go back and talk to uh, Pastor Des. Well, that's wonderful, George. And I think something that's important for us to do when we're trying to seek God's discernment is remember that he's never going to go against his word. So therefore, the better we know the Bible— the more in tune we're going to be with his will. I've heard horror stories over the years of people saying, well, I really think God told me to do this. I'm mm-hmm. like, no, God didn't tell you to cheat on your wife and say it was okay. Let's be serious. You made a choice, mm-hmm. own it, but don't blame God. Because in his book, in his word, he would say, don't cheat on your wife. Correct. So when I hear stories like that and people say, oh, well, God told me this, I think to myself, own your decisions. Don't blame the Bible on that. So how was the verse that came to my mind at that point in as I opened up our Bible was Genesis 12, 1, um, where, you know, he tells Abraham to leave his family, leave everything. And at that time, working where I was working at um, Baxter and Allegiance Healthcare, it was doing just that to leave my family behind, which I had worked, what, 18 years already. And uh, yeah. So wait, so wait. So what were you doing? And it sounds like you had gotten some pretty good salary out of it 18 years later, right? Yes, yes. And uh, But, you know, it was very clear when I opened up my Bible and I went to Genesis 12 and it's like, oh, 
And then I started to go, uh, the first thought that came to my mind was like, oh man. <laughs> but, you know, it, 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 it was, it was a leap of faith and said, all right, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. And, you know, sometimes God's not going to speak to us like an audible voice, like, hello, you know, or you yeah, have I'm a mountaintop experience, you know, it's, it's, and, um, and it was, it was awesome, you know, and it was awesome to see what the Lord did with, uh, with the sports teams. There was 27 sports teams that I had to manage and find fields and find funding for to, to run the teams. And, and it was an awesome experience. So. So how old were your kids at this time when you had this new foray into being an athletic director for the very first time, just out of the blue? Um, my son was already uh, out of high school and my daughter was still in high school. Um, she was finishing her last couple of years and she was an athlete herself, volleyball player, and she did well. And it was in her senior, junior, senior year. It was 2004, 2005. Well, that must have been fun. So jokingly, did she ever say, hey, Dad, we need a, we need a new floor, new volleyball nets and equipment? <laughs> well, you know, it's, uh, it, you get a lot of those requests from different coaches and different parents and stuff. So, um, But no, she, my kids were awesome. They were so supportive in me taking that step of faith and were so patient with me. Because you're a very busy guy, you know, and sometimes your kids are fighting for, for time um, with dad and stuff. So since they were both athletes that were able to participate, my son would help a bit. And, um, and he had his own full-time job. Uh, my wife was very supportive and people around me was very supportive of it and pouring life into me as I attempted to pour life into what well, this, I attempted to restructure all the sports teams for the high school and junior high school. So as a man of faith, were you on a bit of a mission? And what was your goal for these teams at the high school? Well, my goal was uh, three parts. Uh, one was that to develop uh, young men that love the Lord. Number two is to develop young men that love um, education. I uh, wanted to them to succeed uh, as far as academics is concerned, and then to develop their skills as uh, athletes. Well, that's wonderful. So I take it this was the Christian high school that you were uh, athletic director of? Yes, it was Calvary Marietta. I did that for six years. Oh, how wonderful. So do you have any memories that stand out in your mind, leaving a lucrative 18-year career to become an athletic director at a Christian school, knowing fully well that if you go into education, more often than not, you ought to do it as a passion, because if you're doing it for a paycheck, you'll be disappointed. But even more so going to a Christian school where the pay tends to be much less than at the public schools. Am I right on that? Yes, yes. A lot, lot lower. It's, it's a full-time ministry. I mean, it, it was um, – as a coach, I wanted my athletes always. I coached for 23 years. I wanted my athletes to succeed. And I knew that my job as a coach was to raise up young men and women to be able to advance God's kingdom. And that has been my mission ever since I started coaching back in 1996. Um, I started in Pop Warner football and then moved up to high school. I remember my first uh, year coaching, and it was because – no other coach was available, so I said, uh, okay, I'll try it, and I was hooked. And uh, since then, the Lord has been so gracious and 
has given me the privilege to be able to raise up some solid young men and women and stuff. So. Were you a sports fan growing up, George? Uh, yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, I was favorite a sports, sports fan. Favorite teams? Favorite uh, cities? Well, uh, since I come from California and I, was, I grew up in East L.A. and um, South Central L.A., around those areas, um, I love the Dodgers, the Raiders. I know, Las Vegas. I'm very disappointed about that. But <laughs> And uh, the L.A. Lakers. I grew up with Magic Johnson. And Magic and, and Kareem and Worthy. Yep. Showtime. That mm-hmm. must have been a fun era to grow up yes, being yes. an L.A. basketball fan. Huh? Yep. And then the Kings, uh, L.A. Kings, when they came to L.A. And that's where I met my wife in Inglewood. So... We need to devote more time to this side of the story. So when we return more with baseball chaplain George Escalante on Difference Makers. Welcome back to Difference Makers. Mike Lee here with my friend George Escalante, who is a baseball chaplain. And George was telling us about his upbringing in Southern California, being an L.A. fan, and how God yanked him out of his comfort zone and clearly led him to take a much lower paying job as athletic director of a Christian high school where his daughter stood out in volleyball and he was really making an impact on these kids. So relative to your past career, how did you like working in a Christian school, George, and knowing fully well it's going to be a financial sacrifice? What advice would you have to someone who might be feeling as if God's calling them to work for a Christian school versus a non-Christian school? Well, um, it's it's not only a, a Christian school, or it might be calling someone to do full-time ministry or a pastor or youth pastor even. You know, it, it's a scary place to be because there's uncertainty, you know, especially as, as, as it pertains to, to your kids, your wife. They want financial security, you know, and, and for me, it was a thing. It was, okay, I'm going to trust the Lord. Lord, you have always been faithful. You have never turned your back on towards us, and I don't think you will right now. And I feel you're calling me to do this, and I'm going to trust you. And, you know, he provided for every single one of our needs. We lack nothing. And my encouragement to others would be, hey, trust the Lord. If He, if you know he's calling you to serve him full time or to serve him, to serve him at whatever level that might be, you need to take that leap of faith and you need to trust him. Because he will provide for your needs, because he's our good shepherd, just as Psalms twenty three says. You know, I have no need for nothing. So, you know, George, growing up in the Wonder Years type suburbs of Long Island, I just had a picture. You know, maybe it's the white picket fence, two point three kids, and maybe a dog. Actually, I wasn't a dog person to my late forties, but anyway, you have these visions, and it's. Almost like an underlying trying to keep up with the Joneses when it comes to, oh, you need to go to college. Oh, you need to do this. You need to do that. And if you do A, B, and C and follow your little Christianese churchy checklist, then your life will be perfect and your kids will be perfect and serve God. And it just doesn't end up like that. I mean, obedience to the Lord often nets us a worse result than if we weren't obedient to the Lord, well, at least on this earth. 
or at least in the immediate. So when you figure out where that balance is between work and income versus quality family time and parenting, please let me know. Because <laughs> I'm constantly struggling with and failing at that. You know, Mike, uh, I, I think one, one uh, I can't remember who, who told me this, one of my mentors, and it's so important for us as men to have mentors around us that hold us accountable for our actions. And um, I remember him saying that leaving a legacy is not leaving stuff for people or, or leaving – you know, okay, I'm, I live the legacy. I own this mansion, 25 cars, five sports cars, a motorcycle, Harley Davidson, or whatever. That leaving a legacy is leaving something in people that makes them better. That is a legacy. It's not what you leave behind, it's what you leave inside of people that matters because that is what has eternal value. And that is. Being fully engaged in advancing his kingdom. Great advice from baseball chaplain George Escalante. And being an athletic director wasn't the only thing that you did that really stood out in my mind. When you and I first met, I had mentioned I worked in radio. And then your ears seemed to perk up a little. And you said, really? So can you give us any stories about your experience in radio down in California? Well, <laughs> it's, um, I remember my wife and I were given the privilege back in around 2004, 2005 to, uh, to pastor a Spanish church. Um, and I thought that was hilarious, too. I'm like, no, come on. You know, I speak Spanglish. I speak Spanish from the ghetto. You know, I use like cubo, orale, ese, que ondas, you know, some of the, the words that I constantly use in, when I'm talking to people. And uh, the Lord gave us an opportunity to do that. And then all of a sudden, one day, this person comes and says, hey, how would you like to be on the radio? And I'm like, uh, no, radio's not for me. Thank you. I think the Lord has somebody else. And again, I prayed about it, and I felt the Lord saying, well, why not? You know, I felt and, – and then I talked to some of my mentors, and one of my mentors says, you could pray all day long. You could pray for the rest of your life. But the fact of the matter is that you're going to waste your time praying, and there's people going to hell. Spanish people are going to hell, and then you don't want to do a Spanish radio that's going to reach the Spanish community. I'm like, ouch, why are you so hard on me? <laughs> <laughs> ouch, I'm like, hey, take it easy. you know. But that, that's and, and again, going back to having mentors in your life and having accountability partners that will talk to you and speak truth like that in a loving way. Um, and then I said, okay. And then I'm like, I don't have the money to pay for this radio spot. Oh, next Sunday, this lady comes and gives us a check for like, that will fund that for a year. And now, I'm like, hold, hold oh. on a second. So did this woman from church who just handed you a check, had yes. any idea that radio stations were calling you to be on the air? No, they did not have any idea. And um, she kind of like addressed it here. Uh, the Lord told me to give you this and use it for whatever you need. You could use it to pay your rent. You could use it. I don't know what the need is. And I knew what it was for when she handed it to me. And I just wanted to start, you know, weeping again. And I said, okay, I know what this is for. And then we put it towards the radio station because at the time it would cost us $100, right, for uh, a 30-minute uh, segment. And she gave us twelve hundred dollars. I was like, "Oh my goodness, this is 
And I got scared at the time because I'm like, radio, what does that look like for me? So we did uh, commit to the radio station, uh, KRTM uh, 88.9 there in Southern California, based out of Calvary Marietta Bible College. Um, And it was was amazing what the Lord did. Uh, From there, uh, they asked me after listening to the messages, I'm like, I would try to listen to to my sermons on, on, on CD or while the radio program was going, and I'm like, well, how can anybody listen to that? <laughs> you know, and from there they asked me to be the host of "Onto Every Man and Answer" in Spanish, and I said, "No, I'm not. I'm not that big theologian that I could answer questions on the fly." The, so the live give program. us a little background of the legacy of that ministry. Where did the program start, and what is it best known for? I mean, down in Southern California, it's huge. You have some of the. Uh, the top pastors answering uh, biblical questions for, um, you know, people will call in live to ask, uh, um, to get answers of what the Bible's saying. Hey, what does this mean? What about this? And you have Pastor Chuck Smith, um, Pastor Greg Laurie, and all these giants of the faith. And I didn't feel at the time like, no, I'm not, I'm not like a big theologian like they are. You know, I'm just a little pastor here, pastor at Spanish Church. And it's 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 a big program there in uh, Southern California, in the KRTM uh, radio network. That's just wild. So, what was more uncomfortable for you, baseball chaplain George Escalante, when it came to obedience for what you believe God was calling you to do? Was it more uncomfortable to leave a lucrative career to become an athletic director at a Christian high school, therefore taking a massive pay cut, having a wife and two kids? Or was it becoming a pastor? Did you expect something like that at all when you were growing up? Uh, no, none of it. <laughs> none of it. And um, for, for me, every step that I've taken, every um, if I feel the Lord leading me in a certain direction, it, it's it's always concerning. And, and I've been in situations where where it just amazes me. And I look at the people around in the room, and I'm like, what am I doing here? You know, I shouldn't be here. You know, because uh, sometimes you feel disqualified, like, man, these people are like amazing individuals and there's so much wisdom and they're so educated. And here, little old George Escalante, you know, from Southern California is in this room. And for me, it was both kind of like the same, uh, like, you know, I, I don't, don't want to do that. You know, I, I don't think I have the, 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 the right stuff to be able to. Be a pastor, be an athletic director, dash administrator for high school. I'm just a coach, you know, and uh, it was so humbling. And at the same time, every day I would need to trust the Lord as we would face challenges and stuff. And it, the Lord taught us a lot, you know. The um, Lord taught my wife and my kids a lot through all uh, these, these callings that the Lord had placed in our lives. George, something that you brought up several times is the word mentors. So did God always bless you with good mentoring around you? Did you actively seek it out yourself? And what about the people you mentor besides these high school athletes back in California or these baseball players for these four teams that you chaplain for today? I was saved March 31st, 1996. I was at a um, Assemblies of God Church, a Pentecostal church, 
And how that all came to be is that my wife and kids started going to church way before I did. And they would come home, hey, you need to go to church. I want nothing to do with church. You know, I'm like, sure, I don't need that church. And the Lord would, would, would do things to direct me to go to church, but I never wanted to, you know, and so I, I got saved, uh, like I said, March 31st, 1996, baptized um, June 30th, 1996. And at that time, I, I had a lot of questions because um, coming and being born in El Salvador and we had to leave there, um, kind of like an emergency uh, departure as uh, my dad was uh, uh, needed to leave immediately. And uh, we'll, we'll get into that story maybe later or maybe another time. But we came, um, I came here, and in, back in our country, I was being raised and molded to be a priest. So since we had to leave our country and come here, it was kind of like, okay, I can do church and I can do this. So I remember going to this Pentecostal church, and you know, they're God's athletes, they're animated, and that was like Hispanic, right? We animated too, we're like, kind of like, we love dancing and salsa, and I went to this church, and and I was sitting in the back, and they would clap, and they would jump, and I was like, yeah, I can do this, you know, like, hallelujah, and I started to learn the lingo in a couple of weeks, like, hey, brother, hallelujah, praise the Lord, you know, and uh and I was playing church for a couple months. And then that day came in March where the Lord, I felt the Lord calling me to give my life over to him. You know, it, it was like my eyes were open. My vision was open to the importance of of Jesus dying on the cross for us, you know, and, and dying for our sins. And then the pastor does an altar call and goes, there's somebody here that needs to run up here. This is what you've been doing your whole life and this and that. And you guys, this is your background. And I'm like, who told that guy? <laughs> so then I'm like, oh, boy. And I felt my heart racing it within me like, he's talking about me. And he was like on point, like my life up to that point. And I'm like, this has to be God. This doesn't happen. So... I ended up running up there, and I gave my life to the Lord. That was the day that my life was radically changed. So that was March 1996, George? 31st of 1996. So it was around 8.30, 8.35 uh, p.m., and, and I remember that day like it was yesterday. And I got saved, and I had a lot of questions. Being raised up and, uh, and to become a priest, I knew the Bible, and I knew the concept of the Bible. I knew the stories of the Bible. And I would go to this guy, Louis Russo, and I would be like a little kid and pull on, on his shirt. Hey, what about this? What The Bible says this. The Bible says this. Well, what, where does that line up? Tell me about this. And then he would love it because, like, he gets to pour life into a new believer. And he told me, and he started racing, racing me up as a uh, disciple me. So at that time, um, you know, it, it, he kind of like put that concept into me saying, hey, you need to have men that will hold you accountable for your actions, that will encourage you in the Lord, that will pray for you on a daily basis. You need men and you need to seek out men to love the Lord and you will know who those men are. And since then, I've had that concept of having mentors in your life because it's so important. And also being a mentor to others, 
which I do with Baseball Chapel and I do with um, even at work. I take new new staff and and try to teach them and try to make them better. God doesn't call us to be alone. And I'm thinking especially over the last couple of years of pandemic of the Bible calling us to not forsake fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. So mentoring, a great concept from George Escalante, who is a baseball chaplain. And let's hear more of his amazing story next on Difference Makers. You're listening to Difference Makers. My pal George Escalante is a chaplain for four baseball teams. And George, you were just telling us about being born and raised in El Salvador. And then they were actually grooming you to become a priest before you had to leave El Salvador. So tell us the difference of your childhood in El Salvador training to become a priest versus March 31st, 1996, where you got good and saved. And the preacher at this church was saying things that seemed directly pointed at you as if he knew your story, although he was a stranger. Yes, um, Pastor Tim Buttry, um, he was um, saying, hey, there's somebody that is here um, you come, you're being seeking, you come from um, this background, and you're here, and you're playing church. You're over here just clapping along, and then you're saying, yay, but you're just playing church. God wants you to run up here and give your life fully to him tonight. If you're the only person that comes up right now, then you need to do that right now. And I started crying, and I'm like, and my wife was like, what is going on here? And I'm like, He's talking about me, and I just ran up there, and uh, you know it was. It's like it was yesterday. I, I I know exactly the steps I took. I know I was sitting in the back, and, and I just ran up there, and it was like a big burden was lifted from me, and and you know from that point moving forward, uh, it was just I wanted to learn more about this. And one of the questions that I would pose to Louis Russo. My first mentor was like, "Well, why didn't my priest tell me this? Why did why why didn't he tell me this? Why didn't anybody tell me this?" You know, and and that's kind of like what transpired that night. And at this stage of the game, it's not like you were an impressionable kid. You were a full fledged married adult and dad, and somehow God stole your heart on March thirty first of nineteen ninety six. So at this stage of the game, George. Your lovely wife, Candy, and your kids were already going to church. Correct. So yes. Let's let's turn the clock back, and let me ask you, where did you meet Candy, your wife, in the first place? Um, back in um, 1984, as I was going through high school, um, my mom was uh, – she was a manager for several Winchell's Donut Shops in Southern California – you know, and if you know Southern California, you knew, and you know Winchell's Donuts are the best donuts in the world, right? So, anyways, um, and at that time, I was uh, helping her um, with. Uh, I became one of her bakers, and I became one of her people that will make donuts. Um, how that came to be, you know, I, I, 
I was done with school at the time. I, I told my dad, you know, I don't think high school can teach me anything anymore. You know, I would like to to be like you. And my dad was an automotive technician. Uh, he was an automotive technician for his whole life since he came down to the United States from being a politician, very rich person to having nothing to work at a gas station, pumping gas, coming to the United States and becoming an automotive technician through all his years. So that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to work on cars and I wanted to make cars run and machines, right? And build up cars and, he sent me to college to do that. So I went to trade school, got my certification. But then at the time, as, as you know, here I was uh, a senior in high school that didn't want to go to school anymore. So I said, I'm not going to go to high school anymore. So I stopped going to school and I went to trade school. So I started um, working at this um, shop there off of uh, this 91 freeway in Pioneer. It was a Chevron gas station. And the thing that, that bugged me about it, here I'm a – 18-year-old uh, young man, and and one day I looked at my hands, and they were dirty. They seemed to be dirty. And, you know, mechanics' hands, they're, they get they're stained. They're dirty, right? Right? They get stained. And, and I looked at my hands, and I said, dude, with hands like this, I'm never going to get a wife, or at least a good wife. So I went to my dad and said, hey, dad, listen, um, this is not going to work for me. You know, it's like I'm never going to get a pretty girl to like me. <laughs> and my dad goes, okay, well, what do you want to do? Well, can I try helping mom on uh, the donut business? And he goes, okay, if that's what you want to do. My dad was so supportive of us um, taking new ventures. So I became a baker and I started helping my mom bake donuts. So she had a store in Redondo Beach. So one day, uh, this this beautiful young woman comes to to the window, and I'm like, "Oh my goodness, Woo, that's my that's my <laughs> wife!" Oh man! So uh, uh, it was amazing. Um, I think the first time. Let me go back a couple nights before that. Um, she came to the store and she says, "Hey, are you guys hiring?" She told my mom and. And my mom says, yeah, just come back tomorrow and be ready to work. So she came back the next day, and I had baked the night before, and I was sleeping in the sacks of uh, sugar and, uh, and, and, and yeast and, and flour, right? And then I woke up, and here I find this beautiful girl, right? And you work for my mom? I'm like, mom, good job. <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, you know, I would write letters to her, love letters. You're going to be the wife of my kids and all that stuff, you know. And it's like, she still has those letters to this day. I was reading them. I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is, like, so lame, you know. But that's how I met my wife, and the Lord brought her to me, you know, just like he brought Eve to Adam. And we connected, been together ever since, and I love my wife as Outside of my salvation, she is the biggest blessing in my life. And she loves me unconditionally, and she calls me the champion of her heart. How's that, man, for having an awesome wife, you know? so What a great example you place before the world, George and wife Candy Escalante. We really love what you're doing in the community, both at Morningstar Community Church in Salem, where I attend, and also with your baseball chaplaincy. So can you tell us? about your relationship with your dad? Oh, my dad, um, he was 
an amazing man. He left a legacy in us. Uh, he didn't leave us millions. He didn't leave us all kinds of goodies. He, he, he left something. He left a piece of himself within our hearts, you know. So if I heard you correctly, you very glibly blew through this and said, yeah, my dad was a, a rich politician and ended up moving from El Salvador to low-end work in Southern California, eventually becoming an auto technician. So that in and of itself is another episode. But can you give us the Cliff Notes version of your dad's exodus from El Salvador to SoCal? Um, well, my dad was a politician. He was up um, in, uh, in – it was um, some elections at the time. I remember I was a little boy at the time. Um and he was up to he was running for some sort of office maybe it was a mayor or maybe a governor or some equal to a governor here uh in the United States or here in Oregon and he was uh for the party for the people and certain certain people did not like that and there was a assassination attempt on his life and he had to leave and leave everything behind to come to the United States um, from being him being a businessman coming to the United States, none of his credentials were good at the time, saying, no, this is no good here. So he couldn't do anything at a professional level. So he knew he had to provide for his family. So he humbled himself and started pumping gas station. Uh, at He started pumping gas at the gas station on Western and Venice Boulevard. And he became a because he knew he needed to provide for his family. Um, where we first lived, when we first came to the United States, which was on Politic Asylum, uh, we lived in a household where there's probably 10, 12, our cousins lived there, our aunties lived there, and it was this little apartment on Harbor Boulevard in L.A. And uh, that's where we lived, and that's, you know, it was a family. And my dad gave everything to for us, I believe um, he gave everything. He humbled himself, and he did everything he, within his power to provide for his family and stuff. And he was a great man. He left something um, within each one of us, you know. And um, he went home to be with the Lord December seventeenth uh, this past year. Um, I was with him Thanksgiving in. Um, and he told me then, hey, I'm ready. I'm ready to go meet my friend. I'm ready to go be with my friend. I'm tired. I, it's, he couldn't walk anymore. We had to put him on his walker and, 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 and do that. And we didn't mind, you know. It's, it's, it's him being the great man that he was. He would never say no. He would give you the clothes off his back. He would give you his car and have without a car. He would walk if he needed to. And um, he, he was just – a perfect picture of Jesus, who Jesus was. And not a perfect man, but he loved Lord and he loved everybody. You know, just that the Lord has called us to love him with everything within us and to love people. And he gave everything for us. And he went home to be with the Lord December 17th, as I have said. And, and he left he made us different. He made us better. And that's um, what I remember from my dad. And I am so thankful and grateful to have an amazing man raise me up in the ways of the Lord and raise me up with uh, good work ethics, morals, and 
and to be good people and stuff. So I am so thankful for him. My mom's still alive. I talk to her almost like every other day, and uh, she's doing awesome. And she's the same um, thing, you know. When I did um, when we I did the funeral for my dad, which was very difficult. I officiated over it, very difficult to do. And you know, the people that I met were saying like, "Your dad was my dad. Like he was a dad to me, and, and he was a dad to me." So many people came to me with that, and I'm like, wow, my dad really was – he influenced people, and he poured his life into others. For these people that I have no clue who they were, call them their dad. I'm like, no, wait a minute. He was my dad, you know, but he was a dad to many and, and a mentor to many, and I think he was a great example for us to follow, and, and you know, it's – he – Lived the life that impacted people. What stands out about your dad to me, George Escalante, is the fact that he wasn't above anything when it came to providing for his family. He was a rich politician. He went down to pumping gas, which in a lot of people's eyes would be looked down upon. And I think about the willingness of people to take any job. My old pastor back in New York, Gary Zarlinga, would say, do what you know then you'll know what to do. And over the years, I've been blessed with a lot of really bizarre opportunities that I look back at now, and I think to myself, working that DJ company with George Flores directly prepared me to do events years and years later in the Pacific Northwest. And your dad simply did what he could to provide for his family. And you also mention mentoring and the legacy that he left behind in addition to your other mentors. So at this stage of the game, dear friend George, what legacy do you believe that we should attempt to be leaving on this earth, whether it's for our coworkers, our neighbors, our friends, but especially for our kids, no matter what age they are? Well, I think it's important for us to be examples. I live by the three R's, um, role model, pro-social behavior. Um, we need to be role models for everybody. Um, reinforce good Behavior and redirect bad um, behavior when someone makes mistakes. The three R's a good concept to have. In um, that's our job as believers to pour into people and to make them better. You know that is advancing his kingdom. That is what discipleship is. You know, teaching others how to live their lives, teaching others how to love God more. You know, teaching others to love people, and that's to love people unconditionally, which is very hard to do. You and I know that loving people unconditionally, it's one of the most difficult things that God has called us to. You know, it's very hard. I work in a setting where it's very difficult at times, and, you know, I always try to see others as God sees me and God sees them. I always try to find something that, um, that something positive that I can pour into and build from that point on to mentor somebody and pour life into somebody to make them better people. Because um, it, if we do that, we have a better world. If we do that, God's kingdom, God's name is glorified and God's kingdom is advanced. You know, in, in just sometimes I think we make our faith a complex thing and we complicate it so much. When Literally, it's just simple, the simplicity of the gospel is God wants to bless us. The simplicity of the gospel is God wants to bless others through us. You know, love him with everything we have and love people 
and that's loving people unconditionally, which is, you know, as I said before, it's very, very hard to do. George, thank you so much for sharing amazing stories with us today. Thank you for your obedience to the Lord. Thank you for being above nothing when it comes to doing something outside of your comfort zone. George, you've been such an inspiration to us. Is there anyone you want to say hi to or send a shout out to? Oh, boy, all my mentors, uh, Dean Blackwelder has been a huge icon. Um, Dean Blackwelder was my man mentor. Um, he he has left his footprint in my heart for the rest of my life. I'm going to take that to heaven. So um, uh, Mike Caruso is also another mentor accountability partner uh, for myself. Um, incredible man. And I want to give a big shout-out to Sergeant Monty McBeth. He's an icon for me as far as, um, you know, my full-time job in corrections is. Yeah, Monty, you rock. He's a husband, a father, a baseball chaplain, and an inspiration to me. So thank you so much for joining us today, George Escalante. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, thank you for what you do. May the Lord continue to lead you and guide you and pour his blessing upon you. And thank you for listening to Difference Makers. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.